our Lord Jesus said, Blessed are those who do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Aren't you thankful that the Lord made you hungry? Put a thirst in you that He Himself quenched by His Spirit under the preaching of His Gospel? He's the only one who can do that. Salvation is of the Lord from start to finish. And we've been talking about that. If you would turn to Isaiah chapter 10, Isaiah chapter 10, please. We're going through the book of Isaiah in a verse-by-verse study. And it's been rewarding for me. I trust it has been for you as well. During the men's meeting this morning, Brother Brad Warda read the first 20... First verses of chapter 43. I can't wait till we get to that chapter. Be a while, but oh, oh, the blessings that God has in His Word for His people. Our studies last week, uh, we mentioned both the severity of God and the goodness of God. The severity of God in pouring out His wrath on those Christ hating Jews during Isaiah's day and not just his day but all the days of the history of the nation of Israel only a remnant loved Christ loved his gospel saw Christ in all of the ordinances and the sacrifices and in the holy days and the majority of those people absolutely hated and despised God they were led by their ungodly leaders and their ungodly priests who worship false idols. And God poured out His wrath many, many times on them. Now the Scripture says, There's not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. And in our unregenerate state, we were just as guilty as those Christ-hating Jews that God poured out His wrath on. God has mercy on whom He will have mercy. And absolutely no one deserves God's mercy. Judy was playing unworthy in the prelude music this morning. All of us are so unworthy. If we deserved God's mercy, it would cease to be mercy. If we could buy His mercy, it would cease to be mercy. If there was something that we could do to earn His mercy, it would cease to be mercy. God's elect, His remnant, are vessels of mercy which God afore prepared unto glory. We read that very truth in Romans chapter 9. And in verse 23, why is that? Why would God have mercy on some and not on others? Well, today's religion and religions of this world throughout the history of fallen man have tried to come up with something that man does in order to earn God's mercy. And like I said, if you could do that, it ceases to be mercy. God has mercy on a particular people for Christ's sake. For the glory of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and for the glory of His grace. And last week, the title of my message was, God is not angry with His people. 
and His people are in Christ, chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world, in Christ when He redeemed us with His own precious blood, in Christ when He entered into heaven there in the presence of God for us, not without blood, but with His own blood, and He's right there right now making intercession for all of His chosen people, and He's our blessed surety, and He's going to make sure He's going to make sure that all who were given to Him by God the Father in the eternal covenant of grace, all who were purchased by Him with His own precious blood, will be delivered from the power of darkness and translated into His kingdom and be with Him forever when this old body goes back to the dust at my appointed time of departure or when the Lord returns to catch us all home. All for whom He suffered and bled and died will be with Him for all eternity, beholding His wonderful glory and be in the presence of the King in eternal bliss. Now I brought some Scripture last week to show why God has mercy on some. And some of them were taken from the fifth chapter of Romans. God commended His love toward us and now while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. If, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more, being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And our Lord Jesus said, Because I live, you shall live also. So life is in Christ, who is the giver of all life who comes to us when we're dead in trespasses and sins under the preaching of His Gospel and gives us eternal life. He said, our Lord Jesus said, in the 10th chapter of John, beginning at verse 27, My sheep hear My voice, and I know them, and they follow Me. And I give unto them eternal life, they shall never perish. My Father which gave them Me is greater than all, no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. So we're as sure of heaven as if we're already there. God's anger has been appeased for His particular people by the blood of Jesus Christ. God is not angry with us anymore. We can never appease God's anger. The natural man is enmity against God, not subject unto the law of God, neither indeed can be. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And faith, contrary to popular opinion, faith is God's gift to the sinner, not the sinner's gift to God. Now, when God the Holy Spirit gives His enlightened saints the faith to believe on Christ, to believe His gospel, we enter into the perfect finished work of Jesus Christ our Lord and our Savior. We enter into His rest. We cease from our own works as God did His. And we just rest in Christ. The last words He uttered when He was there on that cross were, It is finished. The work of redemption was finished by our Savior. God was pleased with what our Savior did for us. And those who are in Christ are just as holy, justified by God Himself as the Lord Jesus Christ. That's in God's sight. That's not our standing, or that's not our state, that's our standing. So our standing in Christ is one of perfection. Now, 
My subject this morning will be taken from verses 20 through 22 of this 10th chapter, but we're going through this in a verse-by-verse study. So let me take us through, starting at verse 5, through those verses that lead up to our text in a cursory fashion. Listen to this. Verses 5 and 6 says, O Assyrian, the rod of mine anger, and the staff in their hand is mine indignation. I will send him against an hypocritical nation and against the people of my wrath will I give him a charge to take the spoil and to take the prey and to tread them down like the mire of the streets. Now this king of Assyria and his army was the rod of God in the hands of a sovereign God to punish Israel for their rebellion. Israel is called by God himself an hypocritical nation, the people of God's wrath. That's the word of God. God used the Assyrians to spoil the people of Israel, to tread them down like the mire of clay of the streets. This righteous judgment that was imposed upon those God-hating Jews was purposed and executed by God, and that cannot be denied. Verses 7-11 through 11 says, How be it he meaneth not so, that is the king of Assyria, how, how be it he meaneth not so, neither doth his heart think so, but it is in his heart to destroy and cut off nations, not a few. For he saith, Are not my princes altogether kings? Is not Kino as Carchemish? Is not Hamath as Arpat? Is not Samaria as Damascus? As my hand hath found the kingdoms of the idols and whose graven images did excel of Jerusalem and of Samaria, shall I not, as I have done unto Samaria and her idols, so do to Jerusalem and her idols. Now this is the king of Assyria speaking in the stoutness of his heart in the arrogant, sinful pride that's in that man. He thinks he's doing what he has been doing, not recognizing the hand of God. He had no idea that he was a pawn in our Savior's hands. He didn't know that God was accomplishing His purpose through him, using him as a rod. He thought he was the master of his own destiny. Does that sound a little familiar? That's this religious generation we're living in. And false preachers are standing before congregations that are in the thousands telling them that very thing. God is giving every person a free will. You're the master of your own destiny. God has done all that He can. The rest is up to you. Poor Jesus. Won't you give Him a chance? I was talking to Barbara about this just yesterday. And she said, I know, I've heard that very thing. And it is true. That's what they're saying. They're portraying God as a helpless deity who can't do anything unless you give Him permission. What kind of a God is that? I wouldn't walk across the street to see a God of that sort. He doesn't even exist. Like this wicked king of Assyria who had gods of his own imagination. This phony Jesus that's being portrayed from most pulpits today is just an imaginary Jesus. Folks, I'm telling you the truth. This king thought he was something. He thought he had enough nobles under his dominion to furnish him with all that he needed to conquer all the nations of the earth. He mentioned several cities he had already conquered, boasting that he would do to Jerusalem and her idols the way he had already done with those other cities. 
He had already conquered Samaria, taken ten tribes captive. Now his evil eye was on Jerusalem. And he was set to take that city with no thought whatsoever of being in the hands of a sovereign God. He was just filled with arrogant pride. Now brethren, listen. The Word of God says, All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing, and God does according to His will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay His hand or say unto Him, What doest thou? That's the Word of God. That's in Daniel 4.35. Verses 12-14 through 14 of Isaiah 10 says, Wherefore it shall come to pass that when the Lord hath performed His whole work upon Zion and upon Mount Zion and on Jerusalem, I will punish the fruit of the stout heart of the king of Assyria and the glory of his high looks. For he saith, By the strength of my hand I have done it, and by my wisdom, for I am prudent, and I have removed the bounds of the people, and have robbed their treasures, and I have put down the inhabitants like a valiant man, and my hand hath found as a nest the riches of the people, and as one gathereth eggs that are left, have I gathered all the earth, and there was none that moved the wing, or opened the mouth, or peeped. Boy, did he think he was something. That wicked king who never acknowledged God's power working through him, boasted in his own strength and took credit for all that which he was doing, not praising the God of heaven and earth. But when God was through with him, when God was through using the king of Assyria to perform what he had purposed, he, God himself, poured out His wrath on that man and his army. God said He was going to do that and He did just exactly what He said He was going to do. He sent His angel and smote that wicked king and his army in Mount Zion in one day. In one day. Verse 15 says, Shall the axe boast itself against him that heweth therewith? Or shall the saw magnify itself against him that shaketh it? as if the rod should shake itself against them that lift it up, or as if the staff should lift up itself as if it were no wood. You see what God is saying? He's saying the king was just like an axe, or just like a saw, or just like a rod of wood. He couldn't have done anything unless God had allowed him to do it. Just like the woodsman that holds an axe in his hand, or a saw performing what he has determined to perform. The axe had nothing to do with it. It was the woodsman holding the axe that was performing the work. And this wicked king was nothing but an axe in the hands of Almighty God to do what he had purposed. Now folks, the Bible tells us in Romans 9.20 this question is asked, Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? God is the divine potter. This is what I was saying earlier about the religious people of this world, they don't recognize that. We're nothing but clay in the hands of God Almighty. He forms us as it pleases Him. He forms one vessel unto honor, another unto dishonor. That's in Romans chapter 9. And we're vessels of mercy which God hath afore prepared unto glory. And there are other vessels that are appointed to wrath. That's what the Word of God says. I'm thankful. And you should be too. That God, before a star ever twinkled in the sky, 
determined that you would be a vessel of mercy. If we have obtained the mercy from God Almighty through Christ our Savior, it's because God purposed us to be vessels of mercy. And if not, folks, there's no excuse for what we do. The responsibility of man and the sovereignty of God go hand in hand. The Bible teaches both. Although I cannot explain it and I don't have to, I know it's true. If we're going to heaven, it's God's fault. If we go to hell, it's our own fault. That's just the way it is. Now, our Lord said, without me, ye can do nothing. I believe that. I believe that. That wicked king didn't believe that. God destroyed him and his army just like He destroyed Pharaoh and the whole Egyptian army to manifest His power. God raised them up for that very reason. Verses 16-19 through 19 says, Therefore shall the Lord, the Lord of hosts, send among His fat ones leanness, and under His glory He shall kindle a burning like the burning of a fire, and the light of Israel shall be for a fire, and His Holy One for a flame, and it shall burn and devour His thorns and His briars in one day, and shall consume the glory of His forest and of His fruitful field, both soul and body, and they shall be as when a standard bearer fainteth, and the rest of the trees of his forest shall be few that a child may write them. Now most of that wicked king's whole army, most of his trusted officers under him, who thought they were the world's best, by the way, were destroyed in just one day. Now we read this, in 2 Kings chapter 19. You don't have to turn there. But here's what verses 30 through 35 says in 2 Kings 19. And the remnant that is escaped of the house of Judah shall yet again take root downward and bear fruit upward. For out of Jerusalem shall go forth a remnant and they that escape out of Mount Zion, the zeal of the Lord of hosts shall do this. Therefore thus saith the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into this city, nor shoot an arrow there, nor come before it with shield, nor cast a bank against it. By the way that he came, by the same shall he return, and shall not come into this city, saith the Lord, for I will defend this city to save it for mine own sake and for my servant David's sake. And it came to pass that night that the angel of the Lord went out and smote in the camp of the Assyrians 185,000. And when they arose early in the morning, behold, they were all dead corpse. Now I mentioned last week the severity of God and I mentioned the goodness of God. The severity of God fell on those God-hating, unbelieving, rebellious Jews. The righteous judgment of God. And the severity of God fell on that wicked king who boasted in himself of what God was doing through him. He, that wicked king, went back to Nineveh with his tail between his legs. And God raised up that, that king for a particular purpose. 
But after he got back to his hometown, while he was in his own false temple worshiping a god of his own imagination, his own two sons smote him with a sword. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. Now brethren, the writers of the Old Testament give us God's record of how He deals with the men and the women of this world. And God has not changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. If we want to become acquainted with God, we need to read how He dealt with people in the Old Testament. He's, it's the same. God is doing the same today as He did back then. Nothing has changed. There's still a remnant of particular people that God has purpose to save through the finished work of Jesus Christ our Lord. And all the rest, all the rest of the people, they're called reprobates, are vessels of wrath fitted to destruction. Now listen to this, verses 20 through 22, which I said will be our main text. And it shall come to pass in that day that the remnant of Israel and such as are escaped of the house of Jacob shall no more again stay upon him that smote them, but shall stay upon the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, in truth. The remnant shall return, even the remnant of Jacob, unto the mighty God. For though thy people Israel be as the sand of the sea, Yet a remnant of them shall return. The consumption decreed shall overflow with righteousness. Now folks, there is an historical meaning to these verses. A remnant of national Israel was spared during the wicked days or days of that wicked king of Assyria. A remnant did return to Jerusalem after the Babylonian captivity. But if all we get is the historical meaning of these words, we've missed it. There's a spiritual meaning of all of these Scriptures. And they were written for our learning. So let me take you over to Romans chapter 9. I've titled this message, The Return of God's Remnant. And our text in Isaiah says, In that day. And in that day has reference to the gospel age. The day we're living in right now. It's been the gospel age ever since our Lord Jesus came and, and walked on this earth and laid down His life for His sheep. The remnant of Israel refers to God's chosen blood-bought children, spiritual Israel. The house of Jacob is God's people. Those who are nothing but worms. Our Lord tells us in the book of Malachi, I change not, therefore ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. So we're just worms in our unregenerate natural state. But God, by His 
own purpose and grace which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began has raised us out of that awful, filthy cesspool of iniquity we were in. He has set our feet on the solid rock, Christ Jesus our Lord. He has washed us in His blood. He has put a new song in our hearts. He even prays unto His name and has made us part of His holy nation. We're the royal family. Yes, we were nothing but worms. We deserved nothing but God's wrath. But because of Jesus Christ and what He has done for us, we're in that royal family. You're a prince. You're a princess if you're in Christ. What joy, what blessings to know that we're His. The house of Jacob refers to spiritual Israel as well. His enlightened saints have no confidence in the flesh. Our trust is in the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our blessed Redeemer has set us free using His Gospel, the truth. His Gospel preachers are instruments. And we preach the Gospel which is God's instrument. And through our preaching of the true Gospel, God takes His Word, making it effectual in our hearts, and gives us faith to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and raises us from that state of spiritual deadness for the glory of His darling Son and for the glory of His grace. No other reason. The return of God's remnant is speaking of the miracle of the new birth. That glorious day when God the Holy Spirit delivers us from the power of darkness and translates us into the eternal kingdom of Jesus Christ our Lord. That term, the consumption decreed shall overflow with righteousness, means just this. And we'll look at this again next Sunday morning, Lord willing. God has decreed. Here's what that means. God has decreed the salvation of His elect. He will execute the deliverance of His chosen people with righteousness. His sovereign life-giving power has brought us into a living union with Himself. The word uh, consumption, it means destruction or to destroy. And Jerusalem was destroyed when the Jews went into Babylonian captivity. But when God comes to us executing what He has decreed, He destroys in the hearts of His people any false hope we might have had, any phony, imaginary gods that we might have been bowing down to, destroys the confidence in the flesh, gives us the assurance that God Himself has purposed our salvation, executed our salvation, and has brought us into this living union with Himself so that we can boldly say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear what man will do unto me. Now, Look at Romans chapter 9, starting at verse 27. We read Isaiah, Isaiah says Isaiah, and this is what we just read in our text in Isaiah. Isaiah also cried concerning Israel, though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, a remnant shall be saved. And we're talking about the return of God's remnant. Read on. 
It says in verse 28, For He, God Himself, will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness because a short work will the Lord make upon the earth. And as Isaiah said before, except the Lord of Sabaoth had left us a seed, we had been as, as Sodom and been made like unto Gomorrah. What shall we say then? That the Gentiles which followed not after righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness which is of faith. But Israel which followed after the law of righteousness hath not attained to the law of righteousness. Wherefore? Why is that? Because they sought it not by faith, but as it were, by the works of the law. For they stumbled at that stumbling stone, as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone, and rock of offense, and whosoever believeth on Him shall not be ashamed. Now folks, this is all pointing to Jesus Christ. This is all pointing to His seed. If God had not left us a seed, we'd all be like Sodom and Gomorrah. We know what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah. By the way, just as a footnote, God did deliver one of His elect out of Sodom. That was, his name is Lot. God delivered just Lot. And that doesn't mean just Lot. It means Lot was just. And the only way we can be just in the sight of God is to be washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. And God has promised that He's going to pour out His wrath. The day of His wrath is coming. But not until all of His sheep are delivered. Not until that last one for whom Christ died is brought out of darkness into the safety of the fold, into the waiting arms of Jesus Christ. And God is the one who does that. And so He gives us faith to believe on the righteousness of Christ. It's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. Now let me take you over to John chapter 8 and I'll wrap this up. This is so very important. We must see this. And while you're turning to John chapter 8, I wrote an article that I put in today's bulletin called God's Chosen Remnant. And I just want to read that in your hearing to establish some truths before we read this passage of Scripture in John 8. The word remnant is used many times in the Holy Scriptures, many of which has reference to God's elect. Our Lord Jesus was referring to His elect, a remnant, when He told Elijah that He had reserved unto Himself 7,000 men who had not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. The Apostle Paul used those words that God spake, or spoke to Elijah to draw our attention to this blessed God-honoring truth. Even so, then, at this present time also, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. Election is a biblical doctrine. God has a remnant He has reserved unto Himself a particular people who were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. And it doesn't matter what the works religionist, the advocates of free will doctrine say about the election of God's grace. Let them deny it if they will. Let them twist the Scriptures to their own destruction by their false teachings concerning election. The truth cannot be altered. In every generation, there has always been a remnant according to the election of grace. And if election is according to God's grace, it cannot be according to man's doings. Grace ceases to be grace if the least little bit of the polluted sinful works of man enters into the picture. But as precious as the biblical doctrine of God's electing grace is, it would be of no value to the remnant 
If Jesus Christ had not paid the ransom price for us, for His elect, if our Savior had not become a man and had not redeemed us with His own precious blood, God's remnant could not have been saved. God's holy law had to be kept perfectly and His holy justice had to be satisfied. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, did just that by His perfect obedience to His Father's will and by the sacrifice of Himself on that cruel cross on Mount Calvary. He did that for His remnant, His elect, for us, for you, for me, if our faith is only in Christ. But something else is necessary before any hell-deserving sinner can benefit by God's electing, redeeming grace. As Pastor Don Fortner stated, we must be saved by the blessed work of God the Holy Spirit in the experience of grace. If God the Holy Spirit does not come to us and by His life-giving power make us partakers of His divine nature, the truths of the gospel will just be empty words to our darkened minds. We must experience the miracle of the new birth or we'll never be allowed to enter into God's kingdom. Christ in us is the hope of glory. Therefore, the salvation of God's remnant, His elect, is the work of our great triune God. Every aspect of our salvation is essential. Nothing can be omitted. Election by God the Father, redemption by God the Son, and regeneration by God the Holy Spirit is the Gospel. Now with that in mind, I just want to walk you through the first 11 verses of John 8. Now Pastor Donnie Bell preached from this when he was here during our July conference. And what a message. What a message. But I want to stress a couple of things. I'm not going to preach from this, but I just want to stress a couple of things in respect to what has already been stated. We must experience God's grace and salvation by the miracle of the new birth. Or we won't understand, or we won't believe, or we won't even will actually hate the doctrine of election, will actually hate the doctrine of a, a particular people being ransomed by the blood of Jesus Christ. That, that just doesn't seem right to the natural mind. But when God delivers us from darkness, when we have the Spirit of Christ dwelling in us, I guarantee you, it won't come overnight maybe, but you won't have any lasting problems with any of the truths of the Gospel. Now listen to this. Starting at verse 1, Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives. And early in the morning He came again into the temple, and all the people came unto Him, and He sat down and taught them. And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto Him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they say unto Him, these people representing the law, said unto our Savior, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? They thought they trapped our Savior. They didn't know that they were just like the wicked king of Assyria 
pawns in the master's hands. All of God's children are sinners. We must come to Christ. And we shall. Our Lord Jesus said that. All that the Father give me shall come to me. And these men who represented the law brought one of our Lord's lost sheep right to the Master. Now she would never have come to Him by herself. But the Scripture says in Psalm 110 and verse 3, Thy people shall be willing in the day of Thy power. And this is God's power bringing this woman right into the presence of Jesus Christ. Listen. Salvation is a personal thing between the sinner and God. We told our children, all of them, we have six, we told all of them, you're not going to heaven on your mom and your daddy's coattails. This is a personal thing between you and God. You must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ as He is set forth in the Holy Scriptures. So we must come to Him. And this woman came to Him, brought to Him by those who represent the law. Now the Scripture teaches us that the law is our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. She was taken in adultery, the very act. And as Pastor Donnie Bell mentioned, you know, what, what happened to the husband or the man? He was just as guilty as her. They didn't bring Him. They're trying to trap the Lord Jesus. Instead, they're doing just exactly what He determined before He came to this earth. Everything that happens in time was purposed by God before time began. And He executes that by His sovereign power. So He brings, God's power brings this woman into the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ dripping with sin. And she knows it. She can't hide it. She was taken in the very act. And this is what God does with us. This is where He begins. He convicts us of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Only the Holy Spirit can make us aware of our sinful condition. I mentioned Friday night during our Bible study. Is there any loving way to tell a sinner he's no good? You can't. We're raised thinking that we're going to be rewarded for our good. Our mamas, our daddy told us if you be good, you can go to the movie Saturday. I don't know about you, but they had a uh, Clyde Beatty series going on when I was a kid. I got to go to movies every Saturday unless I was mean. So the promise of good to the children were raised that way. If you be good, Santa Claus will bring you some gifts. What a fat antichrist that is. But see, this is our mental mind as we're growing up. We go to work. If we do well at work, we get promoted. So we think that good is the thing that we are. We're not. There's none good. No, not one. There's none that doeth good. None. The Bible says that. How can you lovingly tell a sinner that? You can't. He'll hate you for it. Tell him that without faith, anything you do is an abomination to God. I refer to Romans 11.6. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so, we have to be confronted with this. We have to be told, and only the Holy Spirit can make this effectual, make us aware of this, that from the top of our head to the bottom of our feet, there's no soundness in us. 
just full of putrefying sores. Sickness that just expresses itself in all that we do or think. And we have to be made aware of this. Or we'll never experience the goodness of God. And it's not the severity of God that leads us to repentance. It's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. And it was the goodness of God that brought this woman taken into adultery right before her king. She didn't know that. But it is so. So they ask him, thinking they had him in a trap. Moses says to stone her, what do you say? And if he, he says stone her, that's going to turn the people away from him. If he denies that truth, it's, they're going to use that to say he can't be of God because he's denying the Word of God. So all he did, it says in verse 6, was after they were tempting him that they might have something to accuse him of, Jesus stooped down and wrote with his finger, with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. He's not even a bit concerned about what they're saying. His concern is for his little lost sheep, that woman that's brought to him. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. He didn't deny what Moses said. If you have no sin, you cast a stone. Well, they couldn't do that. There was one there that could have. Our Lord Jesus could have, but He didn't. He didn't come to destroy me. He came to save His people. He didn't come to call the righteous to repentance, but sinners to repentance. But this convicted them. He, it says in verse 8, stooped down and wrote on the ground, and they which heard it being convicted by their own conscience went out one by one, beginning at the eldest even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman staying in the midst. And this is where God's going to get His sheep. All alone. Whether you're in a congregation of 500 or four, when the Lord starts dealing with you, you're going to be all alone with the Lord Jesus. Nobody around, just you and Him. You, you know, I, I have to say this. Just give me a minute. When the Lord delivered me, I really actually thought Judy had gone to the pastor and, and, and just told him everything about me. My life was... I wasn't just on the other side of the track. I was way over there. I was living a very ungodly lifestyle. And every time I looked up, the pastor of the church was looking right at me and I thought, oh man. Conviction was so heavy up on me. I knew, I knew I deserved God's wrath. But you know, that preacher didn't leave me there in that condition. He preached Christ to me. He told me that all my sins were laid on Jesus Christ my Savior and He by Himself purged my sins. That He obtained eternal redemption for me. That He reconciled me to God by His death. And the blood of Jesus Christ removes every spot and stain from God's sight forever. And He preached the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Him sitting on, sitting on His sovereign throne of power ruling over this whole universe and everything. In. And I just, I just leap for joy. And I came down to the front. There was no altar call. The pastor didn't give an altar call. But I just was weeping. I didn't know what to do. And I, I, I came right to here. Went up on the... There was a door right there going into the back. And I didn't want people to see me crying. I went through that door. I, I was delivered from darkness by the sovereign power of God Almighty through the preaching of Jesus Christ. I'm not saying that to draw attention to myself. I'm telling you what God did for me. 
He set me free. He opened my blind eyes to the truths of the Gospel. He sent the Spirit of the Son into my heart so I could believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's this woman right in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And all of her accusers are gone. In verse 10, when Jesus had lifted up Himself and saw none but the woman, He said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. The Word of God tells us in Romans chapter 8 that nothing can be laid to the charge of God's elect. God Himself has justified us through the perfect redeeming work of Jesus Christ our Savior. And it's His finished work that we enter into. We lay down the weapons of our warfare. We hear that our warfare is accomplished. We have received of the Lord double for He has rewarded us for Christ's sake. And today's preachers are talking about something that you have done to gain favor with God. Don't believe that. I'm warning you, don't believe that. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Believe that He by Himself took care of the sin debt of His elect people once and for all when He laid down His life for us. He sanctified us by His one offering and He perfected us forever by that same offering. Romans 10, verse 10 through 14. I challenge you to read that. The ninth verse of Romans 10 says that Jesus Christ came to do the Father's will and He did that. And... Because of that, because He did the Father's will, all those who were given to Him in the eternal covenant of grace, who were purchased by Him by His precious blood, shall come to Him. You're here in John 6, or 8. Turn back to John 6 and just let me read this. Verses 37 through 40 says, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. He didn't say, I hope they'll come. He said, They shall come. And him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. And why is that? And he tells us why. For I came down from heaven not to do mine will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. So the title of this message is The Return of God's Remnant. The scripture on the front of your bulletin. It's taken from Isaiah 53, verses 5 and 6. It says that Jesus Christ was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him. And with His stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to His own way. And the Lord hath laid on Him the iniquity of us all. And then in 1 Peter 2 verses 24 and 25 we read that Jesus Christ in His own self bare our sins in His own body on a tree. That we being dead in sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. For you were a sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your soul. Do you have faith in Christ? 
Have you come to Christ? If so, our God promises nothing but good for His people. It is always well with the righteous. That's the goodness of God. If not, the severity of God is waiting for all of those who go through that door marked death, dying in their sins. And God says what He means, and He means what He says. Come to Christ. Come to Christ by faith. Believe on Him as He has set forth in the Holy Scriptures. And you will be saved by God's grace and His mercy because He's the one who brings you. Amen.